tremendous. Thank you. Oh, I've got a tiny bit of a sore throat, which I think is because I went to a bar mitzvah at the weekend, so I did lots of talking, and my larynx, my larynx is not used to that continual talking because usually I'm done in about an hour on this. This seems such a timely book, and I, I think I found out about it in March. I, I'm in Spain, so um, I'm you know, there for a few more days. So, but you know, we've got a house here, so I've been here for a couple of months. So um, ah. it's uh, very nice. And this is the perk of being the chief economist. Feels like it should have a fanfare, like when Bill Clinton or Barack Obama enters the room. <laughs> Of Ernst & Young. E.Y. Ernst & Young. I know it's the logo is E.Y., but I still call it Ernst & Young. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so I've just retired, actually, at the end of June. Oh, um, mazel tov. Well, I'm quite pleased with that. So um, I'm going to be um, a visiting professor at a couple of unis on, in economics. Um, so that's yep. my plan. That is the well-worn path of an economist. You get straight into exactly. academe. Smith, <laughs> Keynes, Friedman... Gregory. Exactly. That's the right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, is it true that when you retire from a big job that you've been with for over 10 years, you get a nice retirement gift? Or do you just get Bitcoin nowadays? Well, yeah, so uh, I got a, a sort of average Mont Blanc, you know, pen. So that was it, really. Which is a bit useless because you are obviously. Yeah, you're not going to write, right? Well, yeah, exactly. well what, what is the future of the pen? Here's some economy. <laughs> What what is what's Mont Blanc gonna do? Exactly. Are they gonna have to be like um, Herbert Morris or Shell and just completely reinvert what they're doing? Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> it's a good question. Mm. Well, hopefully you'll have some undergraduates to ask a question if yeah. they can bung in some economic theory. Um, I know very little about economic, or as um, the comedian Al Murray calls it. Do you know this? Do you know what he calls economics? Yeah, I know Al Murray. I don't know what he says about economists. Reconomics, <laughs> which is, it is true. Um, Fair enough, yeah. But no, um, you, actuarial science and computer modelling. and Could you have foreseen Jack Grealish, who, bear in mind, has never played in European competition being sold for a nine-figure sum. Was that foreseeable? I, I suppose it's, you know, it's a progression of a, a path we've been on of ever-escalating fees. But, um, you know, at this time when there is less money coming into the game, obviously it's, it's, it is still an amazing development, I think. You know, and um, I think points to why you do need to be having some scrutiny of football's finances at all times it just seems um you know would any other business be doing something like that at this time not sure it's it's just sad uh, i've i live within sight of vicarage road and we have just okay. this is the first day of the post dini era yes yeah, because yeah. he's finally gone to Birmingham, which is what he's threatened to do for five years. Arguably, he should have gone about five years ago. Yeah, was were Birmingham his first club, yeah. or is, has he got some link there? Chelmsley okay, Wood yeah. is where he's from. He's he's from near oh, St okay. Andrews. He's from the blue bit of Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. When you have a player for that long, and uh, and it's been a journey, right, with with him as well, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a comparison with your club, which is the mighty Stoke City. Um, so that would be Ryan Shawcross most recently. Who's at Inter Miami now? That's right. Although he writes a column in the local paper and still refers to the club as we, of course, which I like, as yeah. he should. And Ryan Shawcross will feature in my book because uh, Mark Gregory. I'm 
also a writer. I'm working on this book about the FA Youth Cup. And oh, right. You're the, you're the person writing that, yes. Yeah, yeah. and I'm trying to think of whether Stoke actually have won it. Not, not sure. I mean, they've had, at times, you know, promising teams. But, um, so, you know, the, I mean, the, the team of the early 70s yeah. was a very local team. So, presumably, all those guys came up through the youth team in the 60s. So, I would have thought Stoke's... One of Stoke's best times would have been in the late sixties. Yeah. I will. I'll have an examination of that because the stat that it, everyone should know is that between the Busby Babes and two thousand, only one team, Crystal Palace, in the late seventies, Vance Hilaire, that team, yeah. retained it. Kenny Sampson. Kenny yeah. Sampson. Every year was a new winner, and it's because these crops of youngsters—they may have gotten lucky—and uh, that's what I'll try and determine. But the Man City team of the 80s was made up of big kids in the eastern bit of Manchester. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the early 80s, for who came up and won the Youth Cup in the, in the 70s. Um, and there is a book that I need to read. We'll get to your book, which is called More Than a Game, Saving Football from Itself, which as we speak is out in a couple of days? Yes, yeah, Thursday, uh, the 2nd, September. Uh, yes, um, on yellow jersey, so I commend you to that because they're the best, I think. This book that I'm reading at the moment, George Best and 21 Others, written by Colin Schindler. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. you may know, if not by um, yeah. face, then by name. Um, but yeah. this is about the United and City youth teams of the 60s, but George Best was head and shoulders above everyone else. At this point, I should note that you are old enough to have seen George Best in the flesh. Did you? Yeah. No, I did at Stoke, yeah. Indeed. When he was uh, playing for Fulham? No, when he was playing for Manchester United in a blue kit, I remember mm. it. You know, I wasn't. How so, yeah, I played, I played against Bobby Charlton, but that's a separate story. Well, you've got to tell it now. I'm afraid. Is it? Where would you? I know that you played football in the early '80s uh, for Manchester University, back when Manchester was rivaling Oxford and Cambridge in the comedy stakes because of Ben Elton. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you Ben Elton, um, Aid Edmondson, I guess. Steve Coogan. Yeah. Yeah, through that. Uh, so no, so so yeah. So I played football at university, and our coach um, at the time was helping set up Bobby Charlton's soccer schools, oh, which were really the first wow. soccer schools yeah. in the UK. And and um, he organised um, a lot of us went, you know, did, did coaching badges so they could coach at the soccer school. But we had a charity game against Bobby's All Stars, so Bobby played Alex Stepney. Wolf McGuinness, Frank Casper, Ron Yates, a set of others. So I remember, you know, we lost 5-0. I remember Bobby coming in at the start and going, we're all men, lads, don't kick us. And then obviously proceeded not to let us have the ball for the next sort of hour and a half yeah, or whatever. You, could, you can't take the footballer out. And that vintage of football, uh, you run through uh, the history of what's gone on in football and finance, helped by some fab primary yeah. sources most of which are in the football library your book will go in the i will have to look this up because uh you'll be au fait with libraries in the next few yeah. uh months yeah. and the the there aren't that many football and business books but there is a yeah. section um desperate it'll be in the 300s social sciences yeah. um yeah. i should know that by now the library's been open over a year but I always forget some of them. Um, but yes, your book, More Than a Game, Saving Football from Itself. And these arguments, if you have a brain cell, you will know that football is not about, wow, look at the great player. I am more interested now in what's going on at St Albans City, where the chairman, Lawrence Levy, is running a very good ship 
And uh, yeah. Wealdstone, similarly, are not far from me. They're in the conference. And if, with a bit more of an investment, maybe they can rival okay. some of these clubs. But have you read about, maybe it was in Spain, it didn't reach you, but it was big on social media um, last week. Tony Cleantus and Barnett, they lost 5-0 to Notts County. Yeah. But before the game, there was so much kerfuffle to do with stewards and chefs and kits and Harry Kewell's uh, the manager, so he'll probably walk away in about a week because yeah, it's yeah. more trouble Shame than it's a nice setup there, right? Do you know, my, um, my, my son is... Um, both my sons have Oxbridge Football Blues, bizarrely. That's and um, Good. The eldest played for Cambridge and um, both times the Barcelona the two times he played the varsity match was at Barnet, mm-hmm. which is a, yeah, it's a really nice setup, I think, there, as a community club. As a community club in Cannons Park in Stanmore, and it's got lots of football pitches and a proper yeah. stadium. I've actually witnessed Barnet both go down and go up in that stadium. Okay. Uh, they're a mighty yoke, but I th- what if they go down? I mean, there is precedent, yeah. Stockport, York, there are... Yeah. Enormous clubs who have gone down to the second step of non-league. Fortunately, yeah. Stoke City are not one of them. No, that's right. Sort of um, trying to edge our way back up to the top. With Actually, let's get that out of the way first, um, because there may be some Stoke fans listening. And this is kind of yes. a, a club of misfit toys at the moment, um, one of whom is Ben Wilmot, and you have got a gem there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, he's made a really good start, for sure. Stoke are a really good example of what the book's about in many ways, which is ambitious club, got new owners, got promoted, did 10 years in the Premier League. But actually the the pressure to compete you know, causes you to constantly be willing to take risks or accept your likely failure, if you like. And so some paid off, you know, Bojan for $3 million until he got injured, but equally... You know, when you have um, talented players, but the likes of Shakiri, you know, Chupa Moting, when you're in a relegation struggle, it's not something they're used to. And, um, and then you have all the economic and financial challenges of dealing with those players when you're relegated. And Stoke have got probably, probably last season, they had the legacy of all the signings they made in the Premier League and then in the first sort of summer of the Championship, probably about 30 or 40% of the wage bill was going on players who weren't, play, weren't at the club. All on loan in Turkey or wherever they got to. Absolutely, uh, they're just asset management, and we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. I'm just I'm desperately trying to remember who the author of the book about Stoke City in the Mar- uh, Tony Pulis Mark Hughes era was, and oh. I, the name will come to me. I'm flicking through the book, but I don't think it's coming. Um, but it was very enjoyable to learn about Stoke from someone who'd been to the ground. In the modern era, which is so far beyond the great Stoke era of Sustania. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, the, the team in the, the sort of late 40s was arguably Stoke's best team, although um, Sustanley was there for obviously at different times. And then um, there was also the sort of team in the 70s when um, Gordon Banks was there, obviously. Um, you know, John Ritchie, who in... Uh, Centre forward who had a scoring record in today's money would be, you know, sort of I would imagine forty or fifty millions Ooh. worth of centre forward. But you know, in those days, sort of flipped between Stoke and Sheffield Wednesday for relatively small amounts of money um, by those standards. Yeah, but that was um, so, and then the Alan Hudson team in the sort of mid seventies, which um, was kind of what I remember. Um, 
particularly um, ending that run of Leeds United when they'd gone 29 games unbeaten at the start of the season and uh, they lost 3-2 at Stoke when Hudson kind of had a masterclass, which some people argue is why John Revy never really fancied him when he became the England manager. I wish I'd brought that up with Rob Steen, who literally wrote the book on the Mavericks. And this was at the old Victoria ground. Terraces, standing. So you'd stand with your uncle, your grandpa and your dad. Yeah. At the Vic. Vic. Um, Not the best Vic in the country. um, And then, of course, the 80s happened. And you say in your book this this brilliant passage um, about coming to London... And someone ringing you up, saying, you want to see Chelsea West Ham in the shed end? You idiot! (laughs) You idiot! Yes. I mean, it was, you know, but actually, you know, it was horrible. And, but you know, Stoke had a a sort of difficult um, sort of following as well at that time. As did a lot of clubs. I mean, it was was a, a tough period to go to football. In fact, I'm trying to remember, between about, when I was about 14 and 17, my dad still played football so he wouldn't let me go to Stoke on my own on a Saturday afternoon said it was too dangerous so um, a couple of boys at the road used to go to Port Vale so I was so desperate to go to football I'd go to Port I went to Port Vale for two or three seasons which actually ended up getting me into fights at school with the Stoke fans you know that was kind of football in the 70s and 80s it just it doesn't seem fun and every time I see a picture or video of terraces I'm I'm not yeah. great with crowds, and so I would huh. never I would probably never have gone if I went. Maybe I'd have gone to Watford because it, in the in the eighties we had Elton's money. Um, have you been to yeah. the Vic? Did you watch Watford Stoke, or were you so far yeah, adrift? I've been, no, I've I've been um, a few times. Yeah, yeah, I've been to see Watford Stoke. I think this was the two nil win when we got up in twenty fifteen. Pereira, that seems to ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Watford's, it's a convenient away trip to Stoke because you can get off the train. Straight up, know, um, yeah, straight up the Midland train. It is magnificent, and vice versa. I'm sure I have not been to the Britannia. Um, who would want to see Tony Pulis football, especially on a Tuesday night? But I didn't realise Rory DeLapp is actually on the coaching staff. So is that, there is that link to Stoke Alona there. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you know, the... The, the Pulis era, you know, gets obviously mixed reviews, but equally, you know, the, keeping Stoke up in that first season with the team he had, you know, was unlike anything I've experienced. I mean, the, and the connection that season between City and club was probably as strong as it's ever been, because whatever your views on Tony Pulis and, and mine are more positive than a lot of Stoke fans, he got what a kind of working-class City wants from its football team, and he kind of made that bond, and eventually... Probably people got a bit ahead of themselves and did want you know, Bojan, Shakiri, and Arnautovic. But for a period, it, there was perfect sort of harmony, if you like. Yeah, because and, uh, and when you've not been in the top division for more than two decades, your you know your expectations are a lot lower. And then it just becomes a matter of staying. There are now about twenty-five clubs whose ambition yeah. is one hundred and fifty million pound a season, and. Um, yeah. When Watford went up, I thought, well, that's great because it means I have 150 million quid. But it also means signing a whole new midfield. Uh, the squad has been yeah. refreshed, um, like yeah. a, a new coat of paint. And one of the people who have come in is Peter Atabo, uh, who played yeah. against Brighton. 
Uh, and this is a guy yeah. who's probably going to end up at the African Cup of Nations this year. Is he an example of someone who needs a Premier League wage packet? Because he can walk into this Stoke team. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know any of the details, but he clearly wasn't happy in the Championship. You know, and that's he's been on loan in Spain um, and elsewhere for the last couple of seasons. And you know, I, I guess Watford think it's which it definitely is you know a reasonable gamble right on loan with a chance to buy him and if he does help keep you up then it's um you know it's almost you know sort of small change right uh, yeah uh, that absolutely point. at that level it is but now we've lost Deeney so the senior men in the dressing room they're all ex-man united king cathcart cleverly and foster so that's oh, those yeah. are the senior pros uh, and there are several senior pros in the Stoke team. I would class Nick Powell now as a senior pro since he started yeah, so young. Around, you know, been around. I mean, but for sure, you know, you have um, obviously Danny Bart's been around. James mm-hmm. Chester, not you know, they're not starting at the moment. But I think Stephen Fletcher. I think the manager's trying to get that age blend um, as well. You know, into um, a squad. But you know, I, I've been quite well. I've been impressed by. Michael O'Neill, who, amongst things, um, I think trained, I don't know if he qualified to be an accountant with Ernst and Young in Scotland at one point oh. in his career. And I actually think, you know, given how Stoke have really, and they've made really good progress this summer in sorting out their finances and the playing squad, but I suspect having some financial background as a manager was actually really useful in that respect. You know, he probably understood the constraints and the um, kind of deals that had to be done better than, than the average manager would. The big earner is the captain because he's played for Wales and Liverpool. Why is Joe yeah. Allen still at Stoke? Do you think he's on a good um, remuneration package? When we were relegated, he, he came out and said that he felt you know, responsibility for that and he wanted help to help fix things there. And so that was kind of the initial season. I think he signed an extended contract. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe players are get used to their surroundings or whatever it might be and um, you know are happy to stay or, or still want to kind of right the wrong as they perceive it so so I see him still being there as a positive thing really I think you know there's been rumors other people have been in for him but um, he seems quite settled yeah. very nice lad he was obviously part of that Swansea team under Roberto yeah. Martinez um, and then fitted well, quite nicely into the Mark Hughes, the Mark Hughes team or Pulis too. Yeah, Mark Hughes signed him, yeah. and, uh, and and actually, you might remember, you know, he had um, a spat with Troy Deeney at um, Watford a couple of yep. seasons ago, right at the end of the game when Stoke were time wasting. Yep. But um, it, you know, he had an opportunity after that. that the press and others sort of, you know, wanted him to make more of it, and he didn't. And several times, you know, I've seen him be fouled and get straight up. I think he, you know, as a as an observer, he looks like a you know a genuine sort of football person, if you like, isn't kind of interested in some of the behaviours maybe that, that do annoy fans so much. And we need more of that. Uh, his international teammate Aaron Ramsey, I call the postmodern footballer, uh, in the way that the modern footballer was all about the wash bags. But now we're in that era where Vincent Company now has an MBA. And a lot of footballers yeah. do qualification. Eric Dyer apparently has a vegetable patch. Right. Uh, and his, <laughs> I don't know if Ted Croker was an accountant, but he's got kind of secretary in the family. Yeah. Ted Croker was his great-grandpa. Um, I just wanted to mention that Josiah Wedgwood is on Radio 4 posthumously 
today as we speak yeah. on August 31st. Tristram Hunt is choosing him as his great life. And of course, Stoke, yeah. the home of the pottery. Um, do you have lots of crockery at home with the Wedgwood stamp? So I, I know Tristram well, and uh, he's done some really good things for the city. Um, certainly when he turned up, I, I seemed he'd be the only person in Stoke called Tristram. But, um, you know, he actually, as a social historian, got the city really really well he really understood it but um yeah you know my i guess my mother's side of my family all worked in the pottery industry and you know pretty tough old jobs so when i was a student i had a a spode second tea set that i never really used but you know my auntie just gave that to me um you know for the, sort of, as they always bought them in the factory so no so you know, uh, I think everyone in the city, we call ourselves plate turners. So whenever you're out to dinner somewhere, you always look underneath the plate to see where it's made. It's true. Um, that's you know, a kind of requirement. But actually, you know, like many things um, with some of the UK's smaller cities and towns, it's amazing that somewhere of the size of Stoke became, you know, world famous in, in an industry as it did, like um, pottery. And I think Tristram's book about Wedgwood is a, you know, gives you some clues to that. I think he calls him the Steve Jobs of his day or um, something similar. We'll see if he mentions it. This will be available uh, as a a podcast. Uh, Our chat goes out in September, I think towards the end of September, uh, by which time this book, More Than a Game, Saving Football from Itself, will have been much read and much appreciated. Uh, Now you're retired, I guess there's a promotional push. So have you got, like... Simon Cooper or Murad Ahmed in the FT talking to you. So you know, uh, hopefully they'll um, you know read the book and uh, be keen to do that. And uh, you know, certainly, um, hopefully, people like David Conn and others will um, recognise some of the work they've done over the years and you know, my attempts to build on that as well. Yeah, it is. It's almost a literature review, but not just a literature yeah. review. Some of my favourite books, mostly written by David Conn or David Goldblatt are literature yeah. reviews in that you set out exactly what the history of the point, and the point is saving football from itself. You quote the great Dominic Bliss, Swiss Ramble. Uh, you yeah. quote Dan Jones and what he does with the Deloitte Money League. Yeah. Uh, you quote the FSA, who are brilliant, or the FSF as they were, Supporters Direct, which merged. Yeah. Were you involved with FSA as a Stoke fan and a, a businessman of repute? So I know um, Malcolm Clark, who's obviously the chairman, is also a Stoke fan. So, you know, I've... um, I didn't know that. Yeah, sort of offered, you know, my advice over time. And uh, I was also, um, separately to the FSA, DCMS asked me to give evidence to the um, fan-led review recently with um, Tracy Crouch and others. So obviously the FSA are represented on that as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, So I basically presented Chapter 11 to them of the book, which is you know, my views on what needs to change. And we had a, you know, a really good hour debating that. And this review, I don't know when they report, this side of Christmas or the other side? So, so the interim review came out obviously in early July and you know um, they then have, have embarked on a period of further work. Yeah, so I guess it will be in the new parliamentary session. Of, which, oh, wow. So it might be now you know, as this goes out. And there's a team of 10... I can't rattle them all off, but the big two, as far as I'm concerned, Lord Finkelstein of Pinner and former England manager Polly Math and Polyglot and perhaps Knight of the Realm quite soon, Roy Hodgson. What was it like um, having Roy Hodgson ask you questions? (laughs) Surreal? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, sort of there's 
there was, you know, it, it was all people you knew. So Roy, Clark, Carlisle, um, Dawn Airy, who's, I think, chair of the Women's FA now, but obviously had a career in television. So, and Denise Baxendale is the CEO of Everton. So, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a good test, actually. For me, it was a good test of the book, whether it actually, the logic actually stood yeah, it was up. like a viva. You know, we had a... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And Dan Jones was asking questions on salary caps, etc. Um, you know, we had to talk about regulators. You know, and a lot of my background is on regulators. So should there be an independent regulator, which the, the panel or Tracy's review has now come out recommending, that's one of their firmest interim recommendations. I saw uh, Oliver Dowd, the culture secretary, interviewed by Henry Winter in the Times at the weekend, and um, he seemed, again, to be pretty clear that um, the decision on an independent regulator was something he's, he would support. So that seems to be a you know, route we're heading down. Now, as a bare minimum, you need someone to come in and just go, hold on, from a reasonable layperson, don't do this. Yeah. Uh, but who's it yeah. going to be? Who is the ind- Or is it a panel, or is it one person? The regulator is one part of a structure, but actually you need, you know, more fan representation on club boards or more transparency there and, and more checks and balances generally. But, yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, if we look at the other regulators like Ofcom or uh, Ofgem, they do have a chief executive and a chair, but they'll have a board, obviously, uh, as well. A non-exec so, board um, who won't take a salary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, to imagine, I imagine it will be some mix of that. Um, you know, but it is going to be interesting because you're still going to have the FA, the Premier League, the EFL. And, you know, that's going to be an, an interesting dynamic to make work. I would think. That's the, you asked the question: Who's in charge? The FA, yeah. the EPL, the EFL, and I'd add a fourth emotional stakeholder here: the fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'd, I'd be very interested to talk to Malcolm at the FSA, who hasn't written a book as far as I know. There have been books about community ownership, fan ownership, including yeah. Chris Porter's book, which costs 89 yeah. euros. Uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, yes. I might ask Chris for that. But were you to be asked to be on off foot, off kick, <laughs> would you consider it? Or are you going to because you've got have you got grandchildren to play with now? No, not yet. No, we're a long way off that. Oh, so, um, excellent. Okay. Just uh, getting the um, kids off the payroll is the main objective <laughs> at this point. Um, Have you seen the, the house prices? Uh, I don't yeah, think so. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll go into the second half where we'll talk about some meaty issues to do with uh, the book. Are you going to go to the Britannia much this season and eat some prawn sandwiches with Denise Coates? Well, you know, I'll be at the Britannia. I won't be um, in the sort of uh, elite areas very often I don't imagine but yeah so um, have my season ticket I've been watching games on um, I follow abroad which is one of the attractions the advantages of being abroad if you can't get the games you can watch them yeah. live and um, they're just interested when the tickets for the um, Carabao Cup game at Watford come out because for me that's not far off a home game from West London Do so, you know um, I would love to see you there if not to meet you because I can show you where I hope the football library will be. We've got a Premier League town, much like Stoke. Uh, yeah. Watford, if we go down, fine. I mean, we're not good enough for the top division. We're, we're not rich enough. Our stadium's not big enough. We are Bournemouth. We are Fulham. We're that size. But Watford is where this football library is going to be, because as you may oh, know, yeah. um, there was a printer, Sun Printers, printed some newspapers. Um, and that's why we survived the recession 
of the 80s. Uh, okay. So, yes, the Stoke-Watford game, uh, I think, will be around the time this goes out. 21st, the 21st of is. September at Watford on the Tuesday, a wet Tuesday night in Watford. Uh, before that, you've got Uddersfield at home, Barnsley at home, Derby away, uh, and then Hull at home. So that's 12 points. Well, you know, okay, so I'll definitely be at Huddersfield, Barnsley and, and Hull for sure, those three, just to get back into it. Looking forward to that. And you can see maybe Peter Atebo. Oh, he might be cup-tied. So yeah, that's... I, I, he didn't play for, yeah, he didn't play for us, I don't think. Oh, so maybe he won't be. 